Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church. This is my favorite place to be on Sunday mornings. And you know what makes it better is this great crowd that we have here this morning. I love seeing all your beautiful faces. So thanks for being here, and I'm praying that it's going to be an awesome time. Last week, we announced the spring into summer small group studies that will begin the week of April 18th. But I think we need to change that to to say winter and eventually into summer. Right? We will be studying First and Second Thessalonians, and we are so encouraged by the response that we've received so far. We've got some great groups gathered already. It's going to be a wonderful time of fellowship and growing in God's word together as we discuss and pray and fellowship. If you're interested and you haven't signed up yet, please see my husband. He's my better half. David at the back of the, at the front door by the table there, and he will sign you up. Make sure that you do that so that we can order you a book. The study guides are $12 a piece, and we're going to be meeting two different times during the week, one on Wednesday from 6.30 to 8, and then on Saturday from 2.30 to 4. So whichever suits your schedule, come on and sign up. We, we want to have you in with us. I want to pray before Michael comes up and gives us the word. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the sunshine this morning. We want to thank you for your son this morning. We praise you. We give you glory today. We want to ask that you would speak through Michael by your Holy Spirit and bring us your word, Lord, and change us and grow us in your way. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Lucy. You know, every Sunday, well, even leading up to Sunday, I pray the Lord will, will bring everybody to this thing that is supposed to be a part of this. And you're going to be glad I prayed that today. Because one of the people that got here early brought Krispy Kreme donuts. So you're well, I'm glad you're here. Are you glad you're here? Now, some, somebody said, I can't eat donuts. So, you know, they'll, please eat donuts. Because if there's leftover donuts, someone might try to send them with me. And uh, you are what you eat, and I'm already getting a donut right here. There's healthy goodies too now. <laughs> you got to understand, Lucy, Lucy um, doesn't look at a donut and feel the same way I do. So she brought healthy stuff. If you're a healthy person, God bless you. Um, tell me your secrets. Actually, no, I don't want to hear it. Um, but there's donuts over there. I am excited to see you guys always, always. This week, um, me and Patrick were talking. Does it ever seem like the days are long, but the week is short? Or maybe sometimes the, the days are short, but the week is long. And we finally got to Sunday again, and we get around some people who love the Lord and love us. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the preacher guy here, but we're all ministers to one another. Amen. We're here to minister to one another and to love one another. You never know what somebody's going through. And just you smiling at them and saying, hey, I'm genuinely glad to see you, that might make a difference. It might make a huge difference. Do you know how many people are hurting in this world and feel lonely and lost? That's a big reason we do what we do. So we have been in the book of Daniel, and uh, we're up to chapter 7 today. And I, I promised you some weird stuff in Daniel, didn't I? Yeah. I did promise you. And we have seen some weird stuff. All right, anybody who says the Bible is boring ain't read Daniel, because it gets really, really, really interesting. You know, most of the Bible, uh, 
if you there's certain parts the the baguette 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 and stuff some of that is like okay what's this mean but eventually that gets exciting too if you kind of understand the background of that but um, in the book of Daniel, we've already seen some weird stuff. We saw a ghostly disembodied hand writing on the wall. They don't put that in the children's Bible storybooks. Uh, we saw a king turn into something kind of like a werewolf. That doesn't go into the Bible storybooks. When ting, king, king Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind for seven years and became like an animal. Didn't get that. Didn't hear that in there. So, uh, But that's weird. But it gets a lot weirder from here. So kind of bring you up to speed we're at daniel chapter 7 but things have changed the first six chapters of daniel they are uh they're a narrative they tell a linear story it starts when daniel is like a teenager when he first comes to babylon because he's been taken away from his home in jerusalem and for the next six chapters the timeline goes forward but at chapter 7 something different happens he actually goes back and explains some things that he didn't include on the way through Chapter 7 describes an event that happened 14 years before chapter 5. So that's where we're at today, 14 years before chapter 5. And, uh, of course, that's nice and confusing, right? Some of the critics say, ah, the book of Daniel, all those prophecies in Daniel, they were made up after the fact in order to uh, convince people that this was all real. Let me, if you want to fake a document to try to convince people, would you make the chronological order weird? I mean, wouldn't that make your job more difficult to, uh, to try to fake it? So I, I don't think I'd do that. So anybody read ahead on this chapter? Anybody? Weird stuff, huh? Yeah. It's good, weird, good old weird stuff. So that's nice. Why did you come to church today? To hear weird stuff and hear a weird guy tell you weird stuff. So um, we're going to get started here in Daniel chapter 7. It'll be up on the screen. And the uh, first few verses, and then I'll say a quick prayer for us. It goes like this. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and the four great beasts came up out of the sea, each different from the other. I'm going to stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll open up your word to us and help us see this great truth that you raise up kings and kingdoms for your purpose and you bring them down for your purpose. And a whole lot of that purpose was so the good news of Jesus could come to us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Daniel is famous for interpreting dreams. That's what his big deal. Well, he's more famous for not getting eaten by the lions. Everybody knows. Dan, did, did Daniel get eaten by the lions? No, he did not get eaten. That's great. Fantastic. But he did more interesting things than not getting eaten. By lions. He uh, also interpreted dreams. For years he interpreted dreams and visions. And finally the Lord has given, given him a dream. And it's very similar to the dream and the, well, to the message of the dream from Daniel chapter 2. Where King Nebuchadnezzar had that dream of a giant statue. Maybe you remember this or read back. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of a huge statue of a man. Its head was made of gold. Its chest was made, chest and arms made of silver. Its belly and thighs were made of brass. Its legs were made of iron. And its feet were made of a mixture of iron and clay. Very weird, very strange. Uh, curious about what it means. And while Daniel, while the king was seeing this in his dream, a giant stone came and smashed the feet and then smashed the rest, rest of the statue. What does that mean? I told you at the time, those four parts of the statue, 
represented four different empires that would come. And then that stone at the end was the kingdom of God, which would come and wipe away all human power. So it was kind of a summary of human history from the days of Daniel to the days when the Lord comes back and sets all things right. And I'm like, okay, Lord, come on. We're ready. We're ready for you to come straighten out this mess. So in this new dream, the, uh, the four empires are represented by four fantastic beasts. So this is the real fantastic beasts and where to find them. They're in Daniel 7. That's where they've been all along in Daniel chapter 7. So uh, we see here these four beasts come up out of the sea, out of the sea. In the word of God, the sea can represent several things. One of it can be, it can mean humanity, mean people, the sea of humanity. They rise up out of humanity. They're human empires, but they don't rise up without any outside force working on them. The four winds, if you'll back up one verse, please. The four winds blow on the sea and stir it up. And that represents the providence of God, the power of God. So these are empires that did not rise simply because of human strength or human intelligence. God allowed these empires to rise up as a part of his greater plan. So let's get to the fantastic beast. The first one, we're going to go to verse 4. The first one is a lion with wings. And we'll read that verse. The first was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. I think we've got a picture. A lion with wings. A winged lion is the national symbol, or was the national symbol of Babylon. This is Babylon, definitely. That was the empire that was in power when Daniel wrote this. It was like 14 years before the end of the Babylonian Empire. So that's who's the king right now. Is, is the Babylon is ruling the world. They seemed invincible. They seemed completely unbeatable. But then what happened to the lion in the dream? What happened to the wings? They got pulled off. So this invincible force was going to be brought down. We read another little bit there about the lion being given the heart of a man and being made to stand up on two feet like a man, that to me reminds me of what happened to the most famous king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, remember, that he, was, he lived like a beast for seven years. And God gave him a new heart. And his mind returned to him. And he became a man again. So the Babylonian Empire ruled supreme, but they were defeated by the next beast. And let's read about that in verse 5. The second fantastic beast is a bear. Suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. we got a picture there. It's a bear. It's a bear. He's got one arm raised. He's got three ribs in his mouth. So in the Bible, the bear is a symbol of savagery. And hunger. They did have bears in the Middle East at that time. They had an Asiatic brown bear. I don't know if they still have bears over there now, but they probably do somewhere. So who is who does this bear represent? Who came after Babylon and ate up Babylon? Anybody remember? The Medes and the Persians. Exactly. It was an alliance of the Medes and the Persians. And you notice how the bear has one paw raised up? 
that's probably a symbol of how the uh, Persian side of the alliance became more dominant. That's probably what it is. The three ribs in its mouth. Anybody else want some ribs after this? Uh, I wanted, me and Bobby wanted some ribs before this, right? Always. Um, absolutely. The ribs probably represent three fallen enemies, Babylon, Egypt, and a place called Lydia. Lydia in ancient times was not a girl's name. It was a place, and we would call that place now modern Turkey. What is Turkey now was, at one time, the Lydian Empire. So the Medes and the Persians, they defeated Babylon, and uh, eventually Persia became dominant. So you'll see it just referred to as the Persian Empire, if you ever look it up in the history books or Wikipedia or whatever. Um, Important to note, though, when Daniel wrote this, the Medes and the Persians weren't really a threat to Babylon. They were like, you know... Just this kind of small country um, adjacent to Babylon and under Babylon's control, and now they're going to rise up and take over. So nobody saw this coming except the Word of God predicted it. Persia came in and took over Babylon, and they dominated that part of the world till about 331 BC when it was crushed by a kingdom that, when Daniel wrote, was just a collection of squabbling city-states so the third fantastic beast let's read verse six after this i looked and there was another like a leopard which had its on its back four wings of a bird the beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it and we have a picture of that too leopard with four heads and four sets of wings now where are my cat people here why did liz's hand go up first Cat people, cat people, that's all, it's like two, three, I pray for y'all, I pray for y'all. How about dog people, if dog people, we got a little more dog people, and y'all like hamster people, that's weird, guinea pig people, you know in certain parts of South America they eat guinea pigs, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do that, so, um, anyway, this is a four-headed leopard, Leopards in the Word of God were symbols of strength and speed. Why didn't they use a cheetah as a strength of speed? I don't know. They used a leopard. I don't think they were cheetahs living up there much, so they used a leopard instead. And it has four wings on its back, which points to it being even faster. And uh, at the risk of boring y'all with a history lesson, which I think is cool. Some of y'all are probably a lot cooler than me and don't think history is so, so fun. So I, I like history. But is, is there an empire that we heard of that was so fast, so quick, so ferocious that they took over things with the speed and strength of a leopard? Yes, that was the Greek Empire. And who is the most famous king of the Greek Empire? Alexander the Great. The Great. Alexander the Great. We remember that guy from history class. Alexander the Great uh, came in and he quickly expanded the Greek Empire, mostly to the east of Greece. He swallowed up... Um, Everything that had been in Persia and Babylon. He also went down into Egypt and he went up into the Balkans and all the way up almost to what we would call Russia today. That's how big the Greek Empire was at one point. And Alexander, um, he was undefeated in battle. He never lost a battle. Not sure what to do with that. Amazing. Even though he was incredibly outnumbered. Now, that was partly due to the skill of his soldiers. But God had a purpose for Alexander to be 
raised up. It wasn't just because Alexander was so good or so smart or so brave. God had a purpose, and we'll see it. So once Alexander had conquered all of this, you know what he did next? He died. He died at age 32, um, which sounds really, really young to me. 32 sounds super young. If you're, under, if you're 32 or under, you are so young. Uh, he died in Babylon, of all places. After his death, the Greek Empire continued on, but it was divided up into, let's guess how many parts. I'm going to give you a guess. How many parts? Looking at this picture, how many parts do you think the Greek Empire was? Four parts? What makes you think four parts? Four heads. Yes. See, look at y'all. Biblical interpreters. Y'all are doing good. So four heads. Um, And the four divisions are more or less uh, from four of his most powerful subordinates. A man named Cassander took Greece and Macedonia. That's the home territories. Lysimachus took Thrace and Asia Minor, that's Turkey. Uh, Ptolemy took Egypt and North Africa. And Seleucus took Babylon and Persia. What does that mean to us? Not too much, except that those last two, okay, just imagine on a map, picture in a map of the Middle East. I did not put it in the slide, so my bad there. Imagine a map of the Middle East, and you got like Egypt down here, right? And you got Babylon and Persia up here, actually i got to do it the other way because y'all are looking the other way. Over here, what is smashed in the middle between the, per- the old Babylonian Empire and the old Egyptian Empire? What's trapped right in the middle? The promised land is trapped right in the middle of those two divisions of the Greek Empire. So you know what's going to happen when those two divisions of the Greek Empire start fighting each other? They're going to clash right there at Jerusalem. And it's going to be a bad time to live in the promised land because of those two parts of the, the Greek Empire. We're going to see that a little bit later on. So the Greek Empire lasted a long time. It lasted until about 30 years before Jesus was born. And then came the empire that was greater than any that had ever come before, whatever come since. And let's just see this fourth fantastic beast, this iron monster. Verse 7 says, And this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong it had huge iron teeth it was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet it was different from all the beasts that were before it and we are going to stop before that verse is quite over and i'll explain why a little bit later so this fourth beast was so terrible that daniel could not compare it to anything he'd ever seen it just ugly y'all look at that thing it gives me what what my mom always called growing up the heebie-jeebies Anybody else's mama say heebie-jeebies? The heebie-jeebies. That's what it gives me. That thing is nasty. How many horns on its head there? Ten horns. That's going to be important a little later on. We won't get that so much this week. The fourth beast was so terrible. So nothing like it before. Nothing like it since. Its teeth were of iron. Was Hold on. Iron. That reminds us of something, right? What was that, that statue that Nebuchadnezzar saw? In chapter 2, part of that was iron, right? Do you remember which empire was represented by the iron? Rome, the Roman Empire. So iron is back again. This vicious iron beast represents Rome. Rome was going to come in and dominate the world like nobody had ever seen before, unrivaled in military strength, political power, and in cruelty. After all, it was the Romans who decided it would be entertaining to feed Jesus' people to the lions. And 
that was pretty horrible. That, that was a Roman idea. Now, interesting, when Daniel wrote this prophecy, Rome was like just a big town. Rome was really not even the most powerful city on the Italian peninsula. Rome, no one was worried about Rome at this time. This is hundreds of years before Rome has done anything. And yet the Word of God predicted this iron monster was going to rise up in the form of Rome. So Rome conquered, well, everything. Everything that they were interested in conquering. All the way over into the British Isles. Have you ever seen a map of the Roman Empire? Way over to the British Isles. They got way over in the east as well and north and south. They seemed to have... They had everything that they felt was worth conquering. And uh, they held on to it, or some part of it, for like 1,500 years. The last little bit of the Roman Empire didn't fall until like the 1400s when the Ottomans came in and sacked Constantinople. That's a long time to hold on to power. There's never been an empire that lasted 1,500 years before or since. And... Here they are, so powerful. Rome, also, interestingly, there wasn't like another bigger bully that come come around and whipped Rome. Rome was not replaced by another big empire that was even bigger and even stronger like the others had. Rome just kind of, it kind of destroyed itself. It kind of fizzled out, actually. If you go read the history of Rome and then read the history of America, it's starting to make you worried a little bit because it seems like a lot of the same things are happening you know, so the greatest empires typically destroy themselves, and that was certainly the case with Rome. So Rome never quite died. Rome lives on more or less in the European powers. And um, many of the European powers colonized other parts of the planet. I read this week that there's something like 200 countries on earth. Something like 200, it kind of changes. And you know how many of those, 20, those, those 200 countries that the Britain did not invade at some point? Do you know what it is, Duncan? I've got to give Duncan a hard time. 22. So of the 200 or so, about 180 of them were invaded by Britain at some point. Um, so... Uh, yeah, so you can see kind of how the Roman influence is still around. You know, the United States of America was uh, a British territory at one time, and almost every other place in the world was invaded or claimed. What, a, what an interesting way to do your job. I mean, imagine walking over to your neighbor's house and saying, nice place you got here. It's mine now, by the way. You know, that's, mm, that's interesting. We, we'll leave that for the historians to hash out. But anyway, we're just going to have to live our lives here and now. we got enough to do right now, don't we? Living our lives here and now. So it's clear from the book of Daniel that this succession of empires, Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, and Rome, was not just the result of these clever kings or clever rulers or powerful people. God had a plan for it and it's not because these people were so good or so moral or so as we would put it god-fearing if you read the history of these empires they were not they were not nice people and yet 
God allowed them to rise up for his purposes. And he allowed them to fall for his purposes. And I think I explained this to you before, but it bears repeating again that one of the biggest purposes for which God allowed this succession of empires to rise and fall was so the good news of Jesus could get to you and me. Let me tell you that story again. Why did God allow Babylon to rise up? Babylon, this land full of idols and idolatry and awful things. Let me tell you part of the story. You see, God's people Israel had problems for years and years with always turning to idols. You've heard of King David, King Solomon. Those were really good kings, good times while those good kings were on the throne. But after that, all the kings that followed or most of the kings that followed led them astray. They were bad, and they led them into idolatry. Now, you and I have a hard time wrapping our mind around why anybody would worship a statue, right? That we would not do. But we kind of have a better understanding of how even us, when we're trying to do right, we can get distracted by the pursuit of money and make an idol out of money. You can have a little money, or you can have a lot of money and still have a money problem. If money is what you put your center on you or anything that's not God that you put first place in your life, that's an idol. So God allowed Babylon to rise up and they, he took the people of Israel out of Israel. Daniel and the people living in his generation, when Babylon invaded Jerusalem and the area, most of them were killed. Those who, were lived, those who lived were deported from Israel over to Babylon and they had to start a new life. Well, guess what happened while they were in Babylon? For the first time, they started getting serious about their faith. You ever notice how that works? That uh, sometimes it's when we get knocked down and when we have no other hope, we start thinking, maybe I should be listening to God. I remember very clearly when God called me to preach. Um, he'd been after me for a while, but it was only when I got knocked completely flat on my back and I said, okay, God, you got some better plan than this because my plan is not working. And it was a little more emotional that I put it there. <laughs> There might have been some more colorful language when I was um, praying that prayer. You know what? I think God can handle it, and praise God. Praise God, He can handle it. But when they were in Babylon, the 70 years they were in Babylon, they finally got serious about God. You've heard of synagogues, right? That's kind of like a Jewish equivalent of a church. That developed while they were in Babylon because they couldn't get to the temple because there was no temple because it was destroyed. You've heard of rabbis, right? Kind of the Jewish equivalent of like a preacher. The rabbinical schools developed while they were in Babylon. You've got, you know what the Old Testament is, right? You're familiar with that? The stuff, the first part of the Bible? Guess where it was finally collected and copies started really being made and kept and carefully guarded? While they were in Babylon. That's where it started. So finally they got serious about their faith, serious about the Word of God. They were getting ready for the promised Messiah who would come. They weren't ready. They weren't looking before, but they were getting ready. So who came after Babylon? Persia. What did Persia do besides make fabulous expensive rugs, apparently? I don't know what a Persian rug looks like. I assume it's cool. Um, Persia allowed the Israelites to go back to Israel. Not only that, not only did they set them free, we've already heard of Cyrus the Great. We've had him mentioned here. Cyrus is the one that signs the decree that allows them to go back to the promised land. Not only were they allowed to go back to the promised land, but they went under the protection of Cyrus. And Cyrus helped fund the rebuilding of the temple. 
and the Persian Empire helped fund the rebuilding of the walls and all of this. So Babylon took them out and they got right with God. Persia brings them back. So now they're back in the promised land. And for the first time in the promised land, they're serious about the Lord. The temple is rebuilt. Jerusalem is rebuilt. This is a people that's getting ready for the Messiah. They start actually looking for the Messiah. They start studying these prophecies leading up to this point. Okay, so Persia is going to rise and Persia is going to fall. Who comes next? Greek. The Greek Empire. Okay, if you've ever read about Alexander the Great, you'll understand that to call him great was not a commentary on the way he behaved. He was not a nice guy. He's, he was not a nice man. Uh, he was not great of, because of his compassion. He was great because he kicked everybody's butt without mercy. But I think God had a reason for allowing Alexander to rise up. See, Alexander conquered a huge amount of territory very quickly. And then what did he do? What did he do? He died. He's done. But Greece still controls everything. And what language do people from Greece speak? Greek. Makes a lot of sense. It's all Greek to Billy. It's what he says. It's all Greek to Billy. Uh, you know, I took I took uh, some Greek in Bible college, and it's still it's still a lot of Greek to me. Um, but look, that language, the Greek language, became the language of business because the Greeks dominated such a huge territory for so long. Greek became a language that everybody learned a little bit of in order to do business. Because that was the language of trade. Kind of like English is becoming now. You can go almost anywhere in the world and probably find somebody who speaks a little bit of English or can read a little bit of English or at least enough English to get your money because they're going to sell you something. That will happen. You know, you can walk down the street. I can tell you for a fact, you can walk down the street in Peru and they know enough money. They didn't know enough money. They know enough English to get you to spend your money. And uh, that's the way it was with Greek. Everybody, not everybody, but lots and lots of people could speak some Greek, could read, could read some Greek. So for the first time in the history of the world, there is a widely understood language that has some very precise ability to be very precise. Can you remind me again what language the New Testament is written in? It's Greek. So why did Alexander really conquer the world? Was it because he was so smart or so good? Or was God leveraging the greed of Alexander for the good of his kingdom to give a language that the New Testament could be written in and distributed all over the world and be understood all over the world? Now, we still got a problem. You've got a language that can be understood all over the world, but it's not really that safe to travel in these days. Not safe for normal people to travel. So there is another kingdom that's going to rise up. What is that fourth empire? Rome. Rome was the biggest bully on the whole playground. Rome was, they were so dominant over so much, they conquered huge amount of territory. And because Rome was so big and so powerful, they didn't really let anybody cause trouble. There was something called the Pax Romana. You heard of that? It's just basically saying they was peace because Rome was so powerful nobody wanted to mess with them. So now you can travel, you can move around because it's peaceful. But in order to travel, what do you need? You need roads. You know what the Romans did? They built roads. 
So now it's safe to travel and you can travel. You know what else they did? They invented the postal service. That's, that's, yes, they did. The Romans invented the postal service. Yeah. I wouldn't tell you wrong. I wouldn't tell you wrong. They invented the postal service, so now you can send letters. And all of this just in time for Jesus to be born and people to write books about him and about his teaching. And now finally there's a language that can be understood all over the world. And now it's safe to take this scriptures everywhere and you can actually send letters and people like the Apostle Paul can go and it's safe for him to establish churches and then he can write them letters and check on them and see how they're doing and somebody just happened to, well, I don't think it happened to, God saw in his providential hand that things like the letter to the Romans and the first and second Corinthians that were held on to and copied. So all these years later, we can study them. That's amazing, isn't it? Ain't God good? And it's all back here in Daniel chapter 7 that nobody ever opens because it's weird. Man, this is good stuff. It's part of God's plan. It's part of God's plan. Man, I'd like, there's more. I told you we stopped in the middle of verse. You can probably flip off of this. Well, this is too, uh, uh, the Roman beast is still up there. You can put it on something else. That's not that much better. Go to the lion. I think the lion's the nicest looking. Maybe the title slide. Go to the title slide. One, one or two more back. Yeah, yeah. We'll get, there it is. That's, that's a little better. That's a little more attractive. Sorry for those of you listening on the podcast. We had the really r- ugly Roman beast, and he was kind of creeping everybody out. So we, uh, we switched off of him. So I would like to tell you more about this. You notice those ten horns on the Roman beast? I'm going to have to save that for next week because I don't think I could do it justice in time to, to get done here before, before y'all start to get antsy on me. I understand that uh, one old preacher man said, the mind can only absorb what the backside can withstand. You follow me? It's hard to sit still that long. I get it. So uh, this chapter is kind of a summary of human history from the time of Daniel until the kingdom of God. And we're going to see the kingdom of God part next week. So we see these four empires in succession. And we see there was a greater purpose. The purpose was the gospel of Jesus Christ. To get the good news of Jesus down through the ages to people like us, we have the New Testament, we have the Bible now because of God's providential hand in raising up these kings and bringing them back down. Do you think it has changed so much? Or do you think God has a purpose even for the kings and kingdoms that rise and fall now? It's hard for us to see that, right? Because we look in the world and we see some rulers and we're like, Lord, why would you let somebody, why would you let somebody like Putin come into power? He's definitely not a good guy. I don't care who you are and what, what stripe you are and what party you vote for in the United States. Pretty much everybody can agree, Vladimir Putin, not a good guy. Lord, what you thinking? Why would you allow a man like Putin to rise to power? And you know what? I don't expect God to call me up and explain it to me and say, well, here's the reason, Michael. Here's the reason why I allow this. But you know what I can trust? He has a reason even if he's under no obligation to tell it to me. So we can remember that, that if when we see somebody in power that we don't like, and we think, Lord, why would you let somebody like that in power? And every election we have in this country, there's going to be some significant part of the population who says, oh no, this is a terrible disaster. Well, we say that every time. And um, 
But we got to remember, God has his plans and his purposes that he is not required to explain to us. Do you think Daniel understood what any of this meant back then? He only had the vaguest notion. But now we see it. Do you think Daniel lived under the oppression of the Babylonian Empire? He couldn't see what he, we see, that that was part of the story of God getting the good news of Jesus down to us. I don't know why things are the way they are right now, but I know this. None of this surprises God. And it is going to be part of his plan. He can bring such good things out of such horrible things. Even the, all the horrors of World War II and the atrocities of Adolf Hitler, none of that was okay. And yet, by the time it was all said and done, for the first time since Daniel's childhood, there was an independent nation called Israel that ruled itself. The last time that had happened was when Daniel was a kid in about 600 B.C. So from about 600 B.C. to the 1940s, there was no independent, self-governing nation called Israel. God brought that out of the horrors of World War II. That's amazing to me. So what does that mean for us right now here in America? You know, that's where we live. This podcast goes out all over the world. We live here, and, and uh, you know, they'll have to put it in the context in which they live, but it seems like God has blessed America. Has God ever, has, has America done everything right? No, definitely not. But he's allowed us to rise up. And it's probably not because we are so good or so great. I mean, you know, I love America. I love America. And, you know, but, and we might say, well, America is or was faithful to God. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Seemed to be a nation founded by people who believed in God. And I uh, don't know if we're going down through the years, we'll see that America's done everything right. That is certainly not the case. But at least America has been a place where people could practice their faith in peace and safety. But if that changes, I don't know if we can expect God's blessings to continue. And that seems to be changing. So we need to pray for our country. We've got a lot of work to do, too, to, uh, to make this what it should be. You know, the only, in light of all of this, God orchestrated the rise and fall of empires so you would get to know his son, Jesus. How about that? You think you're a small person that God does not pay attention to what's going on in your life. He doesn't care about what's going on with you. You think he's too busy doing something else to notice you? On the contrary, he has organized history so you'd get to know him through his son, Jesus. Wow. All of history has been designed to bring the message of Jesus to you. The message of redemption and love and second chances and rebirth. So the only sensible thing to do is trust in Jesus. I realize that you might have met some Jesus people or people who claim to be Christians and they sure didn't know how to treat people. But I, what I've noticed is the way you treat people says a whole lot about how real your faith is. You know, if you want to love people and be kind to people. Um, that really will say a lot about who your, where your faith really is. So I, just, I want us to stop right now. We need to do some praying. If you've never trusted in Jesus, you need to do that. And if you need to recommit yourself to Jesus. Heavenly Father, we see this incredible truth that history has been leading up even to this moment for us to trust in Jesus, your Son. Lord, we believe that He is Your Son, that He lived a perfect, sinless life. 
that he died on the cross in our place and he rose again on the third day never to die again we know that message in part because you organized history to bring us to that god help us to remember as we look around the world and are frustrated with what we see that you have a purpose even for the leaders and for the empires and even for the parties that we may not like or approve of, that you have a purpose and we can trust you. God, help us to be people who pray for our nations and pray for our neighbors, who live like we know who Jesus is and that we're ready to share his love and his peace. God, I pray for everyone that they might trust in Jesus. And as we go into the message next week, Lord, I pray you'll open our eyes and make us ready to see the kingdom that is coming the kingdom that will trump all kingdoms that will arise over everything that has ever come before and reign supreme forever, your kingdom, the kingdom of God. Lord, we give you the praise, we give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you for being a part of this here today. I'm kind of hoping we'll do something special. Easter's like two Sundays off. Okay, it's getting a little, cutting it a little close, but I'm hoping maybe we can do something fun on Easter Sunday, maybe have some breakfast or something. If nothing else, we'll get some slightly healthy food, okay, Lily? Uh, okay, okay uh, Lucy? Um, yeah, probably not. Probably not. We're going to get some slightly greasy food and uh, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus by getting a little closer to meeting him because of the food that we're eating. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for being a part of this today. Take care. <laughs>